In a few short weeks, I will be turning 31, officially into my 30s. And, and I say that for a few reasons. First, if this is your first time ever seeing me, one of your first thoughts was, wow, he looks like he's 18 years old. And it's true, I look much younger than I actually am. I used to be a substitute teacher for elementary school, and I like to ask little kids um, how old they think I am. And often, the answer was 15. I also bring it up because around this time, I reflect on my previous year. This is probably something people do, you know, around New Year's, I like to do it around my birthday. You know, I like to ask myself, did I do anything meaningful with my 30th year of life? Is the world a better place? You know, was I responsible with this gift of another year? And then I compare those reflections to Jesus. He's the standard. If you call yourself a Christian and a follower of Jesus, then the whole point is to become more and more like him. So my 30th year, am I more or less like Christ? Well, in his 30th year of life, most historians agree that he began his ministry. He began to build the kingdom of God. I, uh, I built most of a birdhouse. <laughs> I guess I have a long way to go to be more like Jesus. If we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is David Morielli. I am one of the pastoral residents on staff for Grace Chapel. And the real reason I bring up my birthday reflections as it relates for our topic today is because uh, a common theme year after year of doing these reflections is something like, I wish I had responded better to that thing. Um, I wish I reacted with less frustration or I, I wish I was wiser in the way I handled that hard time. Today, we're continuing our summer series called Deep and Wise, Discovering a Faith That Works. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going through the book of James together to discover uh, the wisdom that it offers. Last week, Pastor Brian kicked us off by talking about wisdom as a skill for living. So this week, we're talking about wisdom in hard times. So we're going to be answering the question, how does wisdom help us in hard times? What does a wise decision look like in the middle of your struggles? What skills for living are we using to navigate our trials and our temptations? And it's not lost on me that I am only 30 years old. I have much more life left to experience than I have yet experienced, Lord willing. I know I should be sitting on the other side of this screen learning from many of you on this topic of wisdom in hard times. I do hope sincerely that this is the Lord's message, that the Lord uses me to speak his words of wisdom and not mine. May this message be of his spirit, not from some 30-year-old who can't build a birdhouse. So here's what we're going to do with our time together today. First, we're going to take a deep dive into sections on the book of James that talk about trials and temptations, we'll talk a little bit about desire. Afterwards, uh, we'll look at Jesus and see how he navigated his trials and his temptations. And then uh, we'll take these principles and apply them to personal examples. So let's jump right into James. If you want to open up your Bibles, uh, we are in chapter one, and starting in verse two, he says this. James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And we'll stop there for a moment. That's a strong way to start a letter. This is only the second verse. As Pastor Brian mentioned last week, James is not the sentimental type. Um, this is only the second thing he said after hello. So in other words, he's saying something like, hey, I'm James. You know, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm a servant of God. Uh, how's it going out there, everybody? Hey, 
Whenever you're facing the worst moments of your life, just be happy, right? That transition is kind of tough for us to swallow. It, it can sound like he's saying, just put on a smile and everything's going to be okay. Fortunately, that's not what James is asking us to do. Uh, this is not a fake it till you make it kind of teaching. Consider it pure joy, he says. The word for consider is not the same as we use it commonly in English. Uh, we might say something like, consider yourself lucky. We use it as a passive thing, like just receive the luck. But here, James is using it actively. He encourages us to take a moment, reflect, ponder, think through the joy. And pure joy is not this fleeting emotion of happiness, but it's a, it's a way of being. It's pure because of the other emotions that we might be feeling at the same time. When going through a hard time in life, of course, you're going to be angry. You're going to feel sad or lonely or any combination of other emotions. Consider the purity of the joy that does not dismiss the negative emotions, but is also not overcome by these other emotions. We're going to spend some more time reflecting on joy towards the end of our time today, but joy is crucial to understanding James's teaching on this. There are several different uh, definitions of joy in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. One of them is it's an emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. It's this idea that it's a present feeling about a future result. As we continue to look through the passage, keep that in the back of your mind. And if you take notes, go ahead and, and write this down. Joy is a cause for delight at the prospects of getting what you desire. But how can we truly sense this joy in the middle of a hard time? James reflects on that again in the next verse. In verse three, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We'll pause there again. And let's talk about the words testing and perseverance for a moment. The key to, to really wrestling with this passage is that God is not forcing bad things to happen to anyone. What he's doing is he's inviting us further into a relationship with him through the test. A quick personal example. Like a lot of people, there have been periods of my life where I've had to work two jobs. There was a, a time when I was working for a, a local movie theater and I was working for a church as the evening janitor. Working at the movie theater, my boss asked me to clean up a, uh, we'll call it a mess in the bathroom. Now, he was my boss and he had every right to ask me to do something that is literally in my job description. However, going on behind the scenes, um, I was getting along really well with my boss's boss, and my boss was not a big fan of that. So he started to ask me to do the unpleasant tasks of my job, possibly with the hope that I would disobey. I don't think it's as dramatic as he was looking to fire me, but I do think he was trying to make me look bad. He was looking to find an accusation that he could use against me to devalue me to my other boss. As the church janitor, wouldn't you know it, the same thing happened. A mess in the bathroom. And my boss asked me to clean it. Uh, and a little while later, my boss, she sent in another worker to help me. And you know what she told me a few days later? The, the test was to see if I would ask for help, if I felt safe enough and, and comfortable asking her for help. She sent me help anyway so that I knew that I could do it from that point on. You see, I did the same thing twice. 
but for different reasons. The test in and of itself was not cruel. She didn't necessarily want me to go through a mess and she didn't create the mess, but she did invite me into a more trusting relationship with her. The nature of the test depends on the one doing the testing and our attitude in responding to it. So jumping back into James, the word perseverance, it can also be uh, translated as endurance. It literally means in the Greek, remaining under. So it, it paints this picture of somebody kind of standing under a heavy burden for an extended period of time. You build your faith muscles by enduring trials. What's the point of, of building up these spiritual muscles that James is referring to? Well, he completes the thought in the next verse. In verse four, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Through enduring the trial and building up these faith muscles, you quite literally build up you. <laughs> you become more you. Endurance doesn't just build character as in toughness. It, it builds you as a person. You become more complete, a more complete version of yourself. And the biblical word for uh, mature here means complete or fully grown. My wife and I, we just adopted a garden box at our community garden in Foxborough at our campus. And we already have a pepper. Our pepper plant is fully grown because it is starting to bear fruit, or I guess bare vegetables in, in this instance, but the best definition of maturity that I've ever heard of being fully grown as a human, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are fruit of the spirit, fruit of God's presence. You learn and experience the fruit of the spirit through enduring your hard times. The joy that James is encouraging us to consider in whatever trial you're going through is a chance to become more yourself. A few verses later, James has more to say about hard times, still in chapter one. But if a trial is an external thing happening around you that's testing your faith, testing your response to it, temptation is an internal thing happening within you that is testing your response to it. So jumping down to verse 12, James writes this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The word for trial here, other translations put in temptation. The, the Greek word for trial and temptation, the root word is the same thing. They're pretty interchangeable. And the word for blessed Scholars like to update it to keep it fresh for us, and, and they put in the word happy. So it would be happy is the one who perseveres. And I like that. That does make sense. But I prefer fully alive. It's my own making, so go ahead and take it with a grain of salt. Grain of salt rather. I'm no scholar, but I do think it captures the backward nature of the teaching. James is drawing um, on, a, on a way of teaching that he learned from Jesus. As with most teachings of Jesus, it's paradoxical, or it's different than you would expect at first glance. Jesus taught us when he was alive, blessed or fully alive are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I never would have thought as the poor in spirit or maybe someone going through a hard time as someone who's fully alive. But Jesus says they are because they currently, at this very moment, belong to the kingdom of heaven. 
they, the poor in spirit, the contrite in heart, the downcast, they have direct access to God. James picks up on that sort of principle and he says, fully alive are those who endure temptation. Considering his teaching just before, I guess becoming more fully yourself means becoming more fully alive or blessed. And they will receive the crown of life. And the word crown here is not what we typically think. We picture a golden headpiece filled with jewelry worn by those in authority. But in their ancient imaginations, they would have been picturing an athlete who has endured the race and given a crown of wreaths. James is not saying that someday when we meet God, that, that God's going to give us, you know, a crown of branches and just kind of say, you know, hey, I hope you like it. You know, Gabriel spent a good amount of time working on this. I hope you, that's my Boston accent. I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> this is a crown which is life. Enduring the internal and external struggles of life will be rewarded with more life. James says more here about temptation. When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not in the business of making bad things happen to you. He's not waiting for you to mess up. He's not looking for a way to accuse you to make you look bad. When bad things happen, he invites you further into his heart. We live in a world where bad things happen through no fault or blame at all, things like natural disasters and illnesses. And I want to pause here to say something that I think is really important. If you're in a dangerous situation, if your home life or maybe work environment is not safe, and you're in an abusive environment, James is not teaching you to just put up with it. If you find yourself as a victim of something, the call to endure is not applied to those situations. You're not being asked to just put up with evil. And we're not making excuses for it either. Unfortunately, today is not the time or place to address why bad things happen. But I do confess to you, I'm not sure that scripture addresses that question as fully as we might want, like it to. But James here is reminding us of something very important, that God is not the author of evil. He's not trying to trip us up or see us fail. If God is love and life, and we choose not to seek or walk with him, Right now, I'm talking about something that's within our control again. We choose not to walk with him. Then we can only end up walking toward sin and death. In fact, James continues in the next verse to clarify for us. In verse 14, he says this. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The desire here is not bad. It's how we react to it. And I want to say that one more time. If you struggle with the same temptation over and over and over again, it is not bad. And you, you are not bad. Maybe it's something like food, sex, sports, social media. And if you do not endure, but instead you give into the temptation over and over again, you still are not bad. You can't expect bad things to happen to you or to those around you you can expect to feel less yourself. And on that note, temptation is not restricted to the scandalous things that can ruin a career or personal life in a moment. It can be things like materialism and shopping, 
It can be greed, storing up for yourself. It can be wrath and acting on it at the expense of another person. It can be selfishness, gluttony. It can be being reactionary in the moment, so much more. It's the subtle daily things that take our attention away from loving God and loving others. Temptation for you, it might be the sixth episode in a row of a Netflix series when you know, you know, two episodes was plenty. It can be the 600th scroll through TikTok or Instagram reels. It can be commenting on a Facebook post because, well, that person just doesn't know the truth and I have to aggressively tell them the truth. (laughs) Anything that can be subtle or obvious and captures our imagination and our attention away. James here is using fishing imagery to portray how sin kind of lures us in to take the bait. And once we've taken it, uh, it entices us, right? Our translation said it drags us away. Other translations say it masters us. We lose control, or in other words, we become less ourselves. Things like Netflix and social media commenting on that Facebook post, they're not bad things by themselves. The temptation comes when we allow them to control our lives and our decisions we become a lesser version of ourselves. In the next verse, James switches his imagery from the fishing into a more relational imagery. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. James here is making an allusion to the book of Proverbs. Pastor Brian brought this up last week about how James and Proverbs and wisdom is all connected. In Proverbs, we meet wisdom and folly personified. Folly is simply the opposite of wisdom. It's defined as an act or an instance of foolishness. It's the opposite of considering. Lady wisdom leads to life. Lady folly leads to death. In Proverbs chapter 7, uh, verse 27, it says this about Lady folly, that Her house is the way to Sheol, or the the pit, the down under, and going down to the chambers of death. She will seduce you into her chambers, but there's no life to be found there. James, therefore, offers us a promise of enduring. He gives us a prize that's at the end of the race. If we endure our trials and temptations, we will become more ourselves and receive life. But the question that we're hoping to answer today What practical skills can we use in the midst of our hard times? How does wisdom help us in these moments? Let's take a moment to look at how Jesus is the fulfillment and the example of all of these promises. In Matthew and Luke, we're told of the story of Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness after his baptism. He's given three very specific temptations that he encounters later throughout his ministry. So I want to make that clear. He encounters these three temptations with the devil, and I believe this actually happened. But then he also encounters these temptations in his ministry. So first, after fasting for 40 days, the devil tempts him to turn a stone into bread to feed himself. Later, instead of feeding himself, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He does not take and grasp for himself Instead, he gives. The devil then tempts Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. This is a blasphemer's death. If someone went around claiming to be divinity, they were asked, go ahead and prove it by jumping off the temple. The devil tempts Jesus to prove who he is, to prove who he claims to be as the son of man. If he is the son of man, then angels will rescue him from this leap. 
he ends up suffering a different blasphemer's death anyways. And by enduring it, becomes who he truly is, our Savior. The devil also tempts him to make him ruler over all the nations. And Jesus, in my opinion, would make a pretty great ruler. So it seemed like a good deal. If there was any temptation I actually wanted Jesus to take, it would have been this one. Imagine the peace and the justice, the provision for everybody, if he truly was the ruler over every kingdom and every nation. Instead, he ends up taking on a crown, the crown of thorns, which is life. Maybe we need to rethink and restructure our imagination about what abundant life might look like. And he ends up becoming the king of heaven, and he makes a way for all of us to become citizens of that kingdom. Those are his temptations. But the night before his rest, before his trial, he was praying in a garden. A garden much like the one that God first put Adam and Eve into. And he was facing a similar test. Give in to the temptation or take, and, and take control over the situation or endure it. And as he was praying, he asked at his trial, his test, that it would be taken away from him. But in the end, he surrendered with the famous words, not my will, but your will be done. Wisdom is used to overcome trials through surrendering our wills. Not because you're going to be rescued from the trial or from the suffering, but because on the other side of it is this opportunity to become more fully yourself, like Jesus, a resurrected self. So why did Jesus endure these temptations and these trials? The author of the book of Hebrews says this for us. It is for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider it pure joy when you encounter all kinds of trials, because in enduring them, you become more yourself on the other side. The joy of the trial is in the presence of God, and it's at the finish line. Jesus was not walking around high-fiving his disciples in the garden that night. He was anxious. He was sweating blood, pleading with God not to go through it. There was real pain, agony, and yet there was joy in the presence and knowing what was at the finish line. Losing a job with bills piling up and your fourth rejection letter is not pleasurable. It's awful. Maybe there's joy in the peace that comes in trusting that God will provide. Even in the slight relief of knowing that you can even ask for help. When you're doubting your entire worldview and you're not sure you can rely on anything, there's no fun in that. But there's a joy to be had in inviting God into that. Trying to buy a home in this market when it's not in your favor and you just learned that you were outbid for the fourth, fifth, the sixth time, there's no sense of celebration in that level of stress. But there is a joy in having the confidence that God can and will supply. There's no happiness in fertility issues. There's no high-fiving around unpaid medical bills, soul-crushing debt, broken relationships, divorce, and career failures. Of course, you're going through a hard time. You are going to be angry, sad, lonely, any combination of emotions. The joy is found in enduring as you experience God's presence in ways that you might not have, and as you look forward to how it will make you stronger, more you on the other side. This is what James is getting at for us. 
when, when he says, let the endurance have its full effect on you so that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. And this call to endure trials and the wisdom and considering the joy, this is not some pie in the sky, self-help philosophy. This is practical wisdom for real life situations. In 2017, I was a youth pastor for a small church. And with no head pastor, I was kind of a big fish in a small pond. And this is four years after hearing my call into ministry. I just knew this is what God had for me. And I knew that the next step that God was calling me to was seminary. And I also knew that God was not calling me into more student loan debt. So I applied to schools within my area and one out in Denver. I heard only the best theologians ever graduated from Denver Seminary. For those who don't know, our senior pastor, Brian Wilkerson, graduated from Denver Seminary. Denver was kind of my long shot. I got into all the schools I applied to, but only Denver got back to me with a work-study program that would help me pay my way through school. I ended up getting a job at one of the largest churches in Colorado at the time. And wouldn't you know it, I was a pastoral resident. The church paid for my seminary. It was an answer to prayer. It was the answer to prayer. And in 2018, my life hit a wall. It was, we could call it a mess. My life, my doubts, my heart, it had gotten into a place where I just knew I was not fit for ministry at this time. I could not be in leadership in good conscience. So I stepped down from being a pastoral resident at the, job, at the church. I had to step away from seminary. I floated from job to job. We raked in some serious debt. I tried different career paths and all I was doing was digging a deeper hole for myself. At this time, I was trying to take for myself. I was trying to take control of the situation. I was trying to prove to my friends and family that I could put the world on my back and not break. The truth is I could not remain under. I did not have the endurance or the perseverance. I was joyless. My attitude really changed during that time. Slowly I became more callous, I was overly sensitive, I was highly opinionated, and to be fair, some people might still say I'm highly opinionated, but most of all, I became distant. Distant from God, distant from others. And honestly, it felt like I was trapped in a prison chamber of my own making. Things began to change when the world shut down. For two and a half years, I sat in this pity party of my own making. It took a pandemic and a nationwide quarantine to start to even start to wake me up. Before I get to the happy ending, I do want to acknowledge my abundant privilege even through this. I had amazing friends that helped us, my wife and I, along the way. I had mentors. We had a network of people praying for us through this hard time. There was a community around us who would have made sure that our basic needs were always met if it ever came to that. We chose to come back to the East Coast and I finally hit my bottom. My shame, my guilt, my fear, it all came to a point. I surrendered under the weight. I stopped trying to prove myself and I invited God to prove himself through me. I started to give of myself to others again. And let me tell you, there was not a moment of delay between giving it over to him and sensing my call back into ministry. The best that I can describe it is like it was a freedom from that cell that I had made. Like he just, he just burst in and he set me free. And on the other side, I genuinely feel a more newer, a more mature version of myself. 
My vision for life is clearer. God has been fruitful through me. And I see now the joy having been through it. God has picked up right where he left off with me. And he, he found me a job where I could be a pastoral resident again. Week by week, as I'm challenged and I'm stretched and I'm supported here at Grace Chapel, I feel more and more confident in this calling in my life. I'm taking steps toward being ordained, and God is continuing to write his story through me with Grace Chapel playing such a fundamental role. There is still so much more growth to be had. There are more trials ahead. But maybe next year, my birthday reflections won't be so focused on wishing that I had handled that thing better. Because I have come to know the joy of his presence in my worst times. And I know that this is not everybody's story. So then may I encourage you by noting that maybe your story isn't done yet. One of my favorite worship songs is uh, it's called The Father's House by Corey Asbury. And there's a part where he sings, uh, you never, you being God, never wanted perfect. You just wanted my heart. And the story isn't over if the story isn't good. Consider the joy. Keep enduring by inviting God in. As we wrap up our time together, here's what I want to say. In hard times, you're going to be given two options, wisdom or folly. The way of Adam and Eve in their garden or the way of Jesus in his garden. The way of seizing control or the way of Christ in surrender. The way of me and my mess or the way of him and his help. And the backward nature of the teaching is that it does not take willpower to overcome. In fact, it takes the opposite. Surrender your will and gain your life. The folly of folly is that there is no decision to avoid hard times. There's no easy fix or way out of suffering. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how beautiful you are, how influential you are, even how well you love others and serve your church and are there for your family. No matter how healthy you are, hard times are going to come. They just will. So what skills for living are we using to navigate our trials and our temptations? How does wisdom help us in hard times? Well, the two things that James has talked about, joy and endurance. Joy is inviting God into your hard time and the prospect of his presence. Endurance, remaining under for the joy set before you. Therefore, wisdom considers the joy and embraces the endurance it takes to become more fully alive. And the thing about wisdom is that while it's very practical, it's not necessarily prescriptive, meaning I can't tell you to just go and do three things and then poof, you're now wise. But here are some helpful questions for us to reflect on as we leave into our specific situations. What type of person will or could I be on the other side of this trial? What are the temptations that make me less myself? What immaturity is in me that God might be using this trial to bring to completion in me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that question is for everybody. Doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are, there's always room for more growth. Would you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
First, we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would come, that you would suffer the same trials and temptations that we do. Father, we know that you are present. Holy Spirit, we know you are at work. And we just ask, Lord, would you reveal for us the ways that you are working in us to bring us to a more complete version of ourselves. Give us strength to endure. Give us a vision of the joy so that we may endure these trials and temptations before us. And most of all, may we be building your kingdom through our endurance. Lord, would we be loving well and compassionate? Would we receive your mercy and your grace Would we know it intimately? And would we choose you, you who are life, you who is love? And we pray all of this in the living and loving name of Jesus. Amen.